We've, we've got lunch coming up very shortly. Um, I'm not going to go, I, I won't go over an hour today. Uh, ah, that's a lie. I'm sitting there tensed up then. What? Just joking. Just joking. We're not going to go for that long. Um, we've been talking the last few weeks about the Holy Spirit and let me preface again by saying the Holy Spirit is not a doctrine to be studied. It's not a teaching to be taught. The Holy Spirit is a person to be encountered. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the presence of God here on, on earth right now. The Bible says that, that God the Father is seated on the throne. Jesus is at the right hand. And uh, the Holy Spirit is down here. And the Holy Spirit is with us. And there are moments where we feel the Spirit of God, and there are moments where we sense his presence, there are moments where we don't. It doesn't mean that he's like a yo-yo where he comes down and up and down and up and down and up. Just because you don't feel him doesn't mean he's not there. There are cops and robbers flying through this room right now. Who knows that? There are, there are couples arguing in this very building right now. There's a couple having an argument. And if you had a radio or a television with an antenna, you could pick that up and you could visualise that and see it on a box or hear it out of a speaker. But it's happening. There's stuff flying through this room right now. Mrs. Doubtfire could be on. You don't know. But the Holy Spirit is with us. And we've been looking at, over the last couple of weeks, we started looking at Luke chapter 4. And there's a process that we read about in there that Jesus went through. And it says that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. It then goes on and says, then he was led by the Spirit. And then it says, and then he was empowered by the Spirit. He was filled, he was led, and he was empowered. And we've been speaking about being filled with the Spirit. And we've covered a fair bit of ground in the last couple of weeks. I want to round it out and finish up today uh, by touching on a couple of things. My, my prayer and my hope in the last few weeks is this. I want you to be 100% convinced that you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in what he did on the cross, that that was for you. If you've done that, then the promise of God is that I'll send my spirit to dwell inside of you. That's the promise. You may break your promises. Who breaks promises here? Hands up if you break promises. A couple of honest people. Hands up if somebody else in the room broken a promise to you. All the hands went up. It's okay. God made a promise. He said it's for you and your children. As many as far off, doesn't matter what your background is, if you will hand your life over to God, he says, I'll do something wonderful and something amazing and powerful. I will take of my spirit and I'll put my spirit inside of you and I'll cause you to walk in your way. See, people think, I, I, I can't come to faith, I can't come to God because I'm too bad, I've got this problem or that or, or you know, I don't look the part or I, know I, I struggle with this vice or that uh, attitude or this habit or whatever. And we think, if I can just clean all that up, then I'll come to God. Like, God only takes clean fish. You know? God is a shower, and you get in there, warts and all, mark, dirt, gunk, and he cleans you. We can't clean ourselves up. If we could, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need the cross. If we could do it ourselves, we actually wouldn't need him. But we can't. And so the invitation of God for us is, just come to me. Just come to me. Just, just make the choice to come to me. Make the choice to surrender, and then I'll do something wonderful and amazing. I'll turn the tap on, and let me deal with all the stuff. Because right now, you're trying to deal with things that you probably created. You're trying to break habits that you probably started. So you're fighting against yourself, and yourself's going to win. He says, but I'll give you my spirit. I'll place it in your spirit. 
think you're 36 and I'll cause you to walk in my ways. In other words, I'll empower you to live the kind of life that I want you to live. So don't try to live the Christian life without surrendering to Jesus because it's hard to do without the power. It's like batteries not included in the toy, you know? You unwrap the toy and then you're all disappointed because there's no batteries in this thing. And so you're angry at mum and dad for buying you a toy with no batteries. And rightly so. Got childhood issues from batteries not included. And then being told, I'll buy the batteries and six months later there's still no batteries. Lord, bring healing to my soul. (laughs) I digress. As usual. But the batteries are included. When you came to faith in Christ, the batteries are included. The Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of you. But it's amazing how many of us don't believe it. We don't believe it. We're still waiting for something else to happen before we'll begin to step into all that God has for us, before we'll begin to embrace the mission of God, before we'll begin to, to, to become the people that we're meant to become, before we'll allow the dreams and the purposes and the plans of God to come alive inside of us and to take those first initial steps of faith to get a bit of momentum. We're sitting back going, well, I will when God, when you do this. I want something else to happen. And you know what? Unfortunately, we're probably a lot to blame for that comes out of a lot of teaching, I think, particularly in the Western church, about what it should feel like when God fills you. You know? If you don't fall over in a prayer line, then God didn't do anything. Well, hang on a second. Where in the Bible does it say that? Where do we live by sight and not by faith? Where does that happen? But we live this Christian life by faith. And so we go to the Word of God and we have a look at what it says and we make a choice to believe it. And some things are easier to believe than others. Colossians says that when you gave your life to Christ, that you were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. In other words, spiritually speaking, something miraculous and powerful happened for you. You're in a place of darkness, you were picked up, and you were plopped in this place of light. Spiritually, something happened. Some of you felt it, some of you felt nothing. I don't care whether you felt it or you didn't feel it. The Bible says that's what happened. So you've got to make a choice to believe it. You can either sit there and go, oh, well, I must still not be saved because I don't feel like I'm standing in a place of great light. You know? Well, hang on a second. When did it say, you know, if you feel it? It just says this is what happens. This is what God does. And I think when it comes to being filled with the Spirit, there are so many teachings out there that make us double-guess ourselves and go, well, hang on a second. I'm not sure now because, you know, because I, don't, I didn't fall over when they prayed for me or I didn't speak in tongues when I got saved or... All these things that we're looking for, we're looking for experiences. And because I didn't have the experience, it must not be true. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we should be chasing or waiting for experiences. We shouldn't be waiting for experiences. We should just be seeking God, going after God. You know the people who get experiences? People who aren't looking for them, people who are just going after God. The experiences are God's prerogative. The encounters are God's initiation. It's what God does. We're just called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the other things are added to you. Just go after God. Make a choice to believe what the Bible says. And the last couple of weeks we've been looking at verse after verse after verse after verse that says when you gave your life to Jesus, he placed his spirit in you. He gave you his Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says you'll receive, you'll receive power when the spirit of God comes upon you. And you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and so on. You received something when the Spirit came upon you. How many of us are walking in that power? How many of us are actually taking steps of faith and beginning to walk in that 
And how many of us are still sitting back going, oh, I'm still not sure. I still don't know. Well, hopefully my prayer over these last couple of weeks, and I want to put the final nail in the coffin today, so that when we walk out of here, there's no second guessing, there's no doubting. When you go back to school, back home, when you go to work, whatever, you go there with 100% assurance, you wake up tomorrow morning, and the first thing you do is you pat your little belly, and you go, thank you, Holy Spirit, you're in there. Thank you for being with me. I don't care whether I feel like it or not. It's irrelevant. Some days are diamonds, some days are stones, you know? But that's just how I feel. Some days I feel saved and on top of the world. Some days I, I feel like I don't know God. But it's irrelevant. It's not about how I feel. It's about the reality of faith and embracing what God says has happened. And so God says that we have received the Spirit. God says that when you came to faith, and if you want to look at the scripture, I'm not going to go over it now, go back onto uh, the podcast thing on whatever it... Um, what's it on? iTunes. And you can, you can hear the last couple of weeks. In Acts chapter 4, there's this interesting scenario. And the people who have actually been filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, we've got the story of the day excuse me, of Pentecost, and these people are filled with the Spirit, right? And I just want to say this, then I want to move into the crux of what I want to talk about today. Drive this final nail in the coffin. In Acts chapter 4, it says this. It says that, that Peter and John were at the temple and a guy was begging for money and they said, silver and gold, we don't have what we have. We give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. That's my prayer. God, give the day that we can say that instead of, well, we've got no power, but I'll give you some money. How about that? I would love to be able to go. I don't have much silver and gold. I don't really care because what I've got is way better than that. Grab someone by the hand and say, get out of your chair. Get up. Be healed. Be set free. Be delivered. I'm excited about that. I don't know about you. Daniel is a little bit. Um, Daniel is a lot. Owen usually is, but he's scratching his head at the moment. In Acts chapter 4, and then they get arrested for this and they get taken before the religious leaders and they get told you can't preach in this name and they just go, look, you tell me, do we obey you or God? You decide. And they go, we can't help but talk about what we've heard and, and so on. And they make this decision. Then what happens in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23, they let go and they go back to their friends, their companions... And by the way, their companions and their friends were the same people that you read about in Acts chapter 2. So these people received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and then in Acts chapter 4 they're praying, and what happens here is that the Bible says this in verse, 30, uh, verse 31. It says, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. These people were already filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but when they went to this place of prayer and they're seeking God... God gave them an experience. The walls shook. I mean, it was like an earthquake. That's what the Bible says. It was an earthquake. The walls were shaking. But you know what? They didn't go there and say, God, give us an earthquake. Give us an experience so we can know that you turned up, Lord. God, give us goosebumps so we can know it was you because the goosebumps are running up and down my spine. It felt so good. They didn't say that. They just went and said, Lord... We want you to, 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 to perform miracles and do the stuff that you do so that we can be bold and preach this word and tell people about Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible did people go seeking experiences and encounters. It was the prerogative of God to give the encounter or the experience. Can you see that? They're not here saying, God, shake the walls. But, you know, if we want to build doctrines around it, maybe we can say, when we have our next prayer meeting arise, if the walls don't shake, God didn't turn up. We could build that doctrine. If we want to pull that out, we could build that doctrine. Couldn't we? You know? What about the day of Pentecost? Tongues of fire rested upon them. 
How about we have a prayer meeting and if you, I don't see a tongue of fire rest upon you, then God must not have turned up. But this is what we do. We build these doctrines around these things and some of the teaching gets so confusing and complex that we get paralysed in God. The church is so easily distracted from the actual mission of the church, which is going to all the world and preach the gospel. That is the plot line. That is the main theme, the story of the book. And there's all these little subplots. But a lot of the subplots, we don't have a lot of information about the subplots. And I think there's a reason for that. Because God's saying, don't worry about the subplot. It's not that important. Stop chasing subplots. But as a church, we have a history of chasing subplots. We're going to run after this thing. Well, and we run hard after this and we neglect the simplicity of just preaching the word of God to people that don't know. We neglect the simplicity of just letting our lights so shine among men so they see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he said the first thing that, that's going to happen is you're going to be witnesses. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the power that you can be linked up and joined to my mission. Jesus said go into all the world. That was his mission was to, to come down to a world that did not know God, did not have a relationship with God, and say, this is how you get back into relationship with God. Stop climbing walls, stop building towers, stop trying to be good enough because it's never going to happen. Surrender yourself to me. And then he said to the church, you know the message. Go and do that. And along the way, the church does their stuff and there's these little think tangents they come off but they always keep coming back to and back to and back to the very core mission, which is just go and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and tell everybody what Jesus has done. Don't get too sidetracked. Now, I think it's in Acts 7, is it, where the, 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 the um, Greek-speaking widows and the, the, the straight Jewish widows were having a bit of a dispute because one group were getting looked after better in the distribution of food. And the Greek-speaking widows weren't getting enough food. And so there was this dissension, oh, you're not treating us the same as them. And the disciples said, here's the deal. Find some people that can look after that because we're going to give ourselves to the ministry of words of prayer and to doing what we know we've got to do. In other words, let's keep this train moving in the same direction. We'll deal with that. But we're not going to get distracted and make this the main issue because it's not the main issue. The main issue is there's a lost world out there and we've got to get this message out to them. And so Jesus says in, in Luke, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, Acts one eight, sorry. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you shall be witnesses. So we can argue back and forth about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. I would rather take it from Jesus' mouth. He said, there's a reason why I'm going to fill you with my spirit. It's so that you can continue the mission of God. So that you can continue to build the kingdom of God here on earth. That's the primary reason why I'm going to fill you with my spirit. It's not so you can have goosebumps. It's not so you can have a freaky little experience and tell your friends about it and build a church around it. It's so that you can get out there and realise that there's a world to be reached. And I know that you can't do it in your own strength. I don't expect you to do it in your own strength. So I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you words. I'm going to give you the, the 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to give you insight. I'm going to, going to put words in your mouth. I'm going to help you see things that you wouldn't otherwise see, hear things you wouldn't otherwise hear. I'm going to empower you to be a witness. Now, the final nail that I want to put in the coffin this morning, I want to talk about this issue of tongues. All right? Let me start by saying I believe in the biblical gift of tongues, 100% unequivocally. I do not believe that if you do not speak in tongues, you do not have the Spirit. Okay? And I've touched on this the last couple of weeks. I want to drive this nail in the coffin very clearly this morning and explain to you theologically why I don't believe that that's true. 
So I'm going to kind of digress from my usual normal style. I'm going to try to be a teacher a little bit this morning, all right? So I'm going to throw some verses at you, and I want you to have a bit of a look at at this. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they were all gathered together in one room, and the Holy Spirit falls upon this group of believers, right? Acts 1.8, Jesus gave us this picture of where he wanted us to go. He said, Jerusalem, Judea. Now, Judea is like, Jerusalem is like the town, and Judea is like the region, like Balna Shire and Balna. Right? Jerusalem, Judea. Then we've got Samaria, which is further out. Jerusalem, Judea are what we would probably term full caste Jews. They would consider them to be Jews. Samaria are what we would today term half caste. They were Jewish people that never returned back to Jerusalem when back, back to Old Testament times when they were scattered. They never came back to the homeland. And so they picked up and adopted a few of the practices and intermarried, some of them did, with other nations and so on. So the pure Jews considered them to be half-caste. That's why when Jesus goes to the woman at the well in John 4, she says to him, but Jews don't talk to Samaritans. They had a phrase, the Jews, Jews used to call the Samaritans dogs. Not a very, it wasn't because, you know, we love our dogs here in Australia. You're like Bluey, my cattle dog, I love you. It wasn't like that, it was very derogatory. So Samaritans were half-caste. And then you've got beyond that, the outermost parts of the earth, where they're just Gentile. They're completely other. The Jews for centuries, 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 I'm not just talking a few years, I'm talking generation after generation after generation, believed that they were God's chosen people, and they were. They were. Yahweh was exclusively theirs. To, 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 to one of the, the, the reasons other nations used to mock the Jews was because they believed in one God. They had other nations felt sorry for the Jews. You've only got one God, we've got thousands of them. But Yahweh was specifically the God of the Jewish people. So when we come to the New Testament and we look at the first 30 years of the church, let me tell you something. The day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell upon them, everybody's worldview didn't change in a moment. Just as your worldview didn't just change in a moment when you got saved. It's been a progressive thing of you learning more about God and more about yourself and so on. Right? So Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God falls upon the 120 people, right? And they stand. The Bible says there were tongues of fire, and the Bible says that they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Bible also says that there were people there, Cretans, Arabs, all kinds of people from different nations, and they said, we hear these guys speaking in our language. The wonderful works of God. Right? So again, the very first thing the Holy Spirit did when he came on the scene was what? He preached the gospel. Very first thing he did. The minute he got there, he preached the gospel. Right? There's only five times in the New Testament, five times in the book of Acts, where we have examples of the Spirit of God, where we would say being baptized in the Spirit. Happens five times in the Bible. I want to touch on three of them. Because three of them are significant, the other two are not quite as significant. Acts chapter 9, we've got the baptism of Paul. The Bible doesn't say that Paul spoke in tongues at all. It doesn't say that he had an experience. There was no tongue of fire. There was no earthquake. But we do know that he spoke in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than anybody else. Now, having said that, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around a bit here because I just want to get to a core theme in a minute. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about these gifts of the Spirit. And he talks about one of them being the gift of tongues. And then he goes on and he explains that though I, uh, this particular gift of tongues, he says, when I speak in tongues, I'm not speaking to men, I'm speaking to God, for men can't understand me. On the day of Pentecost, I've got a whole bunch of people saying, we understand exactly what they're saying. 
So people who want to compare the two and say, see, Paul said he spoke in other, in other tongues, but hang on a second, Paul said his tongue no human being could understand. Yet on the day of Pentecost, people understood. Was the miracle that they spoke in other languages? Was the miracle that these people just heard other languages? I don't know. You know what? Again, I think it's a subplot. I don't think God cares. The point is this. When the Holy Spirit was finally released and no longer was outside of man but came into man, something happened. These guys spoke in this other weird language. Right? Jew, Jerusalem, Judea, here it is. It's happening. Right? Go across to Acts chapter 8. Now in Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 8, we have this interesting thing where this guy called Stephen gets killed for his faith. He stands up and he preaches the gospel and he gets stoned to death. What happens after he's stoned, at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, the Bible says after he was stoned, every, all the believers scattered. They fled out of Jerusalem. Up until Acts chapter 8, they hadn't bothered to take the gospel out. They hadn't done what Jesus said. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts. They hadn't bothered to go. Acts chapter 8, the Bible says they all scattered and they, where did they go? They went to Samaria. They went to Samaria. Except the apostles, the Bible says. The apostles, the big bigwigs, the church leaders, the ones who were there on the day of Pentecost, stayed put. They stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go. The Bible was very clear. So these guys scatter out to Samaria. And the Bible says that they preached the gospel to the Samaritans and the Samaritans believed. There's an interesting verse in there. It says that they didn't receive the Spirit when they believed. Acts chapter 8. I want to go there and have a quick look at it. Acts chapter 8. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem, verse 14, had heard that the Samaritans had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had not fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, if you want to prove a point, here's a phrase I want you to think about. I've written it down here. You have to have... I wrote this down so I could make it as clear as I could. Something tangible and evidential, verified and authenticated by reliable witnesses. We're talking about a a, a generation of people, a nation of people that still think, still think, and I'll show you later on, they still to this point think that salvation is for the Jews, that God's spirit is only going to come and inhabit Jews. They still think this. They still think it. Maybe that's one of the reasons why they didn't feel the urgency to go outside to the rest of the world yet. God had to have one of his own children or allow Stephen to be martyred to shake them up, to say, hey, come on, get out there. This gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the whole world. So Stephen dies, they all run out. It says they put their faith in God, but they didn't receive the Spirit. Interesting, because here I am teaching you and the rest of the Bible is teaching you that when you come to faith, you get the Spirit. The Bible says they didn't. So what happened? It's interesting. The Spirit of God didn't fall until who was there? John and Peter. People who were there at the day of Pentecost, people who experienced and saw what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is actually poured out directly from heaven onto a person. So they go, travel all the way to Samaria. When they get there, they lay hands and the Spirit of God falls. It's something evidential and authentic that's verified by authentic witnesses. If this gospel is going to go universal, then these guys, you have to have the right people in the right places, it's just like a court of law. You can't just have anybody standing up saying, well, did you see it? Well, no, I didn't. Were you there when it happened? No, I'm just guessing. 
And you can't just say, well, God's poured his spirit out. How do you know? Well, this is what happened. There was a, a chain of events and they spoke in these weird languages. This is what happened. So we go to Samaria. How do we know it's the same thing? Samaritans could just say, yeah, no, I just, I am. No, there has to be something verifiable and authenticated, something tangible you can see, and the right witnesses have to see it to make the connection. That's the same thing that happened here. And so God does not pour out his spirit into them until there are verifiable witnesses there. So now we've got Samaria and we've got the witnesses there and they see the same thing. This is the same thing that happened back then. And in their heads they're starting to go, hang on a second, our our theology doesn't really allow for this because we still think that salvation is only of the Jews and we still think that even though God might like other people, his spirit's only going to dwell in the Jewish people. And I'll show you again in a minute, we'll get there eventually. So now we've gone from Jerusalem, Judea, now we've gone out into Samaria. What happened there? Same thing. Spirit of God fell, evidential Uh, experience with verifiable, trusted witnesses. Keep in mind, the book of Acts is a history book. It's not a doctrine book. Okay, Each book of the Bible, it is inspired by God. Every book is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for for training, instruction, all that stuff. But they were written for different purposes. And if you go back to the beginning of Luke, Luke's writing to a guy called Theophilus. Nobody knows who Theophilus is. Theophilus means either lover of God or lover of the gods. They don't know. Again, it's a red herring, don't chase it, who cares? If God wanted it to be clarified, he would have made it a bit clearer than it is. Nobody knows. All we do know is this, that Luke wrote the book of Luke and then the book of Acts, two volumes, for this guy called Theophilus. And he says, I'm writing this to you, Theophilus, so that you will be assured of the things that you've heard. The best guess for Theophilus, which I find interesting, is this, that he was actually a Roman centurion, a Roman of high rank in the army. Because in the book of Acts, he calls him most excellent Theophilus. There's only two other times in the book of Acts where anybody uses that same phrase, and it's Paul saying, excellent Festus or whatever, and he uses it twice, and it's for high Roman dignitaries. So a lot of theologians believe that whoever Theophilus was, we don't know who he is, but we do believe he's high up, high rank in, in, in the Roman army. Gentile. End result. So Luke's writing these manuscripts and going, I want you to be assured of all the things you've heard. So he writes this book. All right? And so he shows at the start it's interesting, it's the only volume where he goes into such minute detail right back from the beginning of Jesus' birth before, right through to, 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 to Mary hearing from the angels, to everything to, to even, even includes you know, um, Mary's cousin and includes John the Baptist, there's such minute detail he goes right from start to finish gets to Acts 1.8 and he says right now you're going to receive the spirit and you'll get power and, and this gospel, this message will go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria uttermost parts and then he goes on to explain how that happened so the gospel's gone, Jerusalem, Judea, tongues of fire, baptised, verifiable witnesses, evidential experience. You come across to Samaria, um, there's no tongues of fire, but there's this evidence of something. We know there's an evidence of something because there was a sorcerer there. And this sorcerer makes this statement. It says that when the disciples came and they laid hands on him and they prayed for him, you can read this, I'm just too much scripture to, to break it all out. It says that when Simon saw that the, that the believers received the spirit through the laying on of hands, he offered the disciples money and said he... Can I have that power too? So he saw something. What did he see? I think it's fair to assume he probably saw this gift of tongues. I think it's fair to say that based on the evidence trail that's being left behind. Why could it not happen when these disciples went? Why did we have to wait for Peter and John? Because you've got to have the verifiable witnesses there. So we've got Jerusalem, Judea, and now we've got Samaria. Now an amazing thing happens later on in Acts chapter 10. Peter is sitting at home and he is... Uh, in someone's home and he's on a roof. And the Bible says Peter has a vision. And in his vision, he sees a sheet. 
And the, the, the corners of the sheet lay down, and he sees all these animals. Everyone know the story? So all these four-footed animals, all these hoofed animals. And God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says what? I ain't going to touch anything unclean. I won't touch anything unclean. It happens three times. He says the same thing back to God. I will not touch anything unclean. Then he wakes up in this trance and he's thinking, what was that about? There's a knock at the gate. He goes downstairs. Here's a Roman centurion. These guys have been sent from Cornelius, this Roman centurion. And they go, look, there's this guy, uh, Cornelius, he wants you to come. He had a vision in the night. He saw you. You've got to come and talk to us about the things of God. And so Peter grabs his gear and Peter goes with him to Cornelius. And what happens in Acts chapter 10 is really, really interesting and extremely pivotal to this whole issue of tongues. See, to me, tongues is just a sign. And it was really something for the Jewish people to try to grasp their head around. 4,000 years of history. God doesn't accept anyone other than us. It's not going to break just in the space of a couple of weeks. It's not going to change. Acts chapter 10. Here's what it says. Acts chapter 10. Where are we? In verse 28. When they came to Peter, he said, You know how unlawful it is for a Jew to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. It's unlawful. He's still thinking that way. He still hasn't changed the way. He still doesn't see God as a universal God. They still don't get the uttermost parts of the earth bit yet. They're still thinking it's us, it's us, it's us. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. In other words, right up until this very moment where you knocked on the door, I didn't get it. But God has just shown me now that I can't call you uncommon or unclean. Right till that moment, he was still thinking that they were uncommon or unclean. In other words, you couldn't receive the Spirit, you couldn't receive God, you don't have an inheritance in this thing. They still didn't get it. These, these disciples that had walked with Jesus, they still didn't get it. It's mind-boggling. And the story goes on. It says in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive God shows no partiality. I'm just starting to get this revelation. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. He's just getting it. He's just now starting to get it. The penny's dropping, right? He goes on and he preaches and he talks about Jesus. And it says in verse 44, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, while Peter was still speaking, we want to make a law now that you've got to lay hands on someone. To, oh, hang on. Stop making rules where rules aren't there. On the day of Pentecost, nobody laid hands on them. The Spirit fell upon them. And let me tell you something else. They weren't thinking about speaking in tongues. They had no context for it. I shared with you the other week these situations when I first got saved. People saying, you want to speak in tongues? Expect it. Start doing these things. These guys never expected nothing. They didn't have a clue. It was the sovereignty and the prerogative of God to drop the experiences on you. Don't go looking for them. These guys weren't looking for it. People say, oh, you're not expecting, you're not believing. They weren't believing, expecting. Go across to Samaria. It doesn't say anything about them. The disciples, Peter and John, didn't come and say, hey, you want to receive the Spirit now? Open your mouth. They're stuck on dabba, 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 dabba. It didn't happen. Stop seeking experiences. We don't go chasing experiences. And it says, while he was still speaking, the Spirit fell on them. And watch this, those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Why were those of the circumcision astonished? Because they still didn't get it. 
We still don't get it. We're Jews. We're circumcised. What do you mean God's giving them the Holy Spirit? How can this happen? And how do they know? They had to see something. It had to be experiential, evidential, and had to be verified by trustworthy witnesses. Who's here at the time? Peter. The pillar of the church. Peter's there on the day of Pentecost. Peter's there when spirit falls in Samaria, and Peter happens to be the one that's here when the spirit falls in the uttermost parts of the earth now too. Now watch this. Keep going with this. It says, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them what? Speak with tongues and magnify God. So here we are. Here's the full circle. Jerusalem, Judea. Something, every, something experiential happens. What is it? Spirit falls, they speak in tongues. It's verified by the witnesses. Go to Samaria. What happens? The church doesn't want to go there. God kicks them out. They run out there, and now they're in Samaria. What happens? Spirit of God, they get saved, but the Spirit withholds. Why? Because there's not the verifiable witnesses there yet. We need verifiable witnesses. So Peter and John go there. God goes, right, now let's do it, because Peter and John will take this back to Jerusalem, which is the head of the church in the day. He'll take it back to them, and, he'll be, and they'll be able to say, you know what, guess what? The Samaritans have got it now too. And maybe they'll sit there and go, oh, well, Jesus say something about that? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Uttermost parts. And then we have this experience in the uttermost parts, in Acts chapter 10, where the Spirit of God falls upon these Gentiles. Now watch this. You, don't, you, you, you still think that, that they got it? Watch, watch what happens. Go across now to Acts chapter 11. Just another page across. And Peter goes back to the church in Jerusalem and he begins to tell them, hey, guess what happened? You're not going to believe this. These Gentiles received the Spirit. Same as we did. Why did God have? Why did it have to be a, 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 an evidential thing, and why did there have to be trustworthy witnesses there? Because it's the only way that these people, it's the only way that the church is going to get it, that God is now not just accepting the Jews, but now He's accepting people from all nations. And so He goes back and He has to defend Himself to the church. Why? Because they still don't get it. They still don't get it. It'd be one thing to say, "No, the Samaritans were filled with the Spirit." What's going to be your first question? How do you know? God had to do something evidential. It's one thing to go back and say, hey, the Gentiles now are filled with the Spirit. How do you know? I mean, how do you know? We take that as now it's the evidence. So we're all sitting back going, oh, if I don't speak in tongues, I'm not filled with the Spirit. That's not why it was written. That is not why it was written. He goes back and he, he, he begins to talk to them about what happened. And here's the thing. He relays the story. He says, I had this vision and so on, and God showed me that I, I shouldn't call anyone unclean. And in Acts 11, verse 15, says this, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Watch this. As upon us at the beginning. Why does he make the connection? Why does he go back to that? Because that's the reference point. Hang on a second. That was the reference point. Same thing. There had to be a reference point. There had to be an experience. There had to be something evidential, and there had to be trustworthy witnesses there to make the connection. And Peter's the most trustworthy guy you're going to find in the day. He was the spokesperson for the church back in the day. So Peter saw it, and Peter spoke about it. Most people are going to trust him. They're going to listen. just so happens that Peter's there on each of these three situations. Verse 16, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, If therefore, watch this, If therefore God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, now we're talking uttermost parts. He's saying, who was I that I should withstand God? If God gave them the same gift that he gave us, how do I know it's the same gift? Because it was the exact same evidence. 
Right back there. Remember, guys, we were in that upper room and this thing happened and we all remember that? Well, guess what? I was over here with these Gentiles, these people that we don't think are part of God's family. He gave them the exact same thing, which means he made absolutely zero distinction between us and them. Watch this. When they heard these things, they became silent. In, in the Greek, that means they were beside themselves. They were beside themselves. It's like, what? We're absolutely perplexed by this. This was not inside our theological framework. This was way off the radar of what we thought, that God would accept these types of people. It says they became silent, then, and they glorified God. They said, then, God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. You see, up until this point, they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. And this is the tipping point for the church. After this, you barely hear about it again. You only hear about one more one more group of people getting filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 19, I think it is. But what's interesting is that they're, they're disciples, but they're disciples of John. And Paul comes along and goes, have you received the Spirit? And they go, well, we're disciples of John. And so Paul then preaches the gospel to them and says, you need to become disciples of Jesus. Here's what he's done. And then they get prayed for. And the Bible says they spoke in another tongue and they prophesied. So should we start a doctrine now that says when you prayed for to receive the Spirit, you can prophesy or it's not real? We chase these herrings all down the path. I want to tell you this, unequivocally. You, if you have given your life to Christ, you have the Spirit of God inside you. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. And my prayer of these last few weeks is this. I want you to stop second-guessing yourself. I want you to embrace the life of God on the inside of you. Stop waiting for something else to happen. You have been filled with power by the Spirit of God. Start to activate that by believing it. I wake up in the morning and one of the first things I say to myself is, is I thank you today, God. You are in me. You are with me. Wherever I go, you're going. I've got to tell myself every day because some days I don't feel like it. But I've got to tell myself. Okay? I don't care if you don't speak in tongues. If you do speak in tongues, fantastic, awesome. Go to town. But you're not a second-rate, unspiritual believer just because you don't. You're not, you're not running on three batteries and the tongue speakers are running on four. It's been such a divisive issue in the church. And it's, we shouldn't be shocked at that because the whole book of Corinthians, one of the main reasons why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church was because the gift of tongues was so divisive. That's why he mentioned so much about it. They had this mentality that, that you, if you spoke in tongues, your gift was better than everyone else. That's why Paul uses these analogies like we're a body and the foot can't say to this one and that kind of thing. He said, everyone's got their own gifts, everyone's got their own stuff, they move in and so on. Nobody's better than anybody else. Every one of you are joined to the head and that's all that matters. Amen? That's all that matters. I'm going to finish up now. I've gone way longer. For those of you that are visiting, we never go past 12, all right? Today, we've gone way past 12, only because I couldn't cram that in really short. We, I don't normally do that, but I just feel in this season we're in as a church, I feel like I've wanted to speak on the Holy Spirit for six months and God has withheld and gone, no, no, no. I don't know why now, but I just know now God has released and said, look, you need to start to speak about the Holy Spirit. That's a lot of information today. Normally I wouldn't give you 50 scriptures to look at like we have. Um, we're not that kind of a church. We're not a big, you know, teach But I just, it's a bugbear of mine when I see born-again people who fail to embrace the Spirit of God on the inside of them and live as if they're lacking something and sit back waiting for something else to happen when Jesus says it's done. It's done. Now get out there and live your life like it's done. 
Get out there and live your life like you are full of power by the Spirit of God. Get out there and live with confidence and boldness, knowing that God is with you. Stop waiting for something else to happen. It may not happen. May happen, may not. But whatever happens, just seek God and let him take care of all the other stuff. Amen? Can we do that? Okay. Um, Once again, apologies for the length of time. Uh, but I'll just pray and I'll say grace and then we're going to run out there and we'll start getting into, into lunch. So Father, I just thank you for uh, today, God. I thank you for your word, God, that, uh, Lord, it's, it's not that complicated really. Father, you knew that there would be simple people like me and, and, and others that would need to understand it. And so God, you did a great job of making it simple. And Holy Spirit, you are a teacher and you are on the inside of us and you do speak to us and you do teach us. So thank you for that. Lord, I pray for each person here today. God, before they walk out that door, God, I pray that they would take their first step out there with 100% assurance that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they are filled with the power of God, the life of God, that they have everything within them they need to go out there and to fulfill the purposes and the call of God upon their life. God, if there's anybody here today and they're still doubting and they're still second-guessing, God, I pray, get a hold of them. Father, I pray don't even let them leave today till they've sat down with someone, talked with someone, prayed with someone. God, till they've settled that issue, Father, because we need to have that issue settled to walk into all that you have for us in the future, God. So, Father, thank you, Lord. I pray a blessing over our lunch together, God. I pray a blessing over each person as they travel home today from this place. And, God, this week, let every person in this room give us an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus who does not yet know you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen, amen. Quick, get up, run. I know you're you're wanting to run. It's a lot longer than normal. But uh, anyway, I I hope you got something. God spoke to you out of that. Uh, If not, I spoke to you.